Thank you is such a powerful idea, isn't it? I've been doing a lot of thinking these days about how we embody some of these really important ideas, the ones that drive who we are and how we are in the world. You know, even though I consider gratitude to be a regular practice, I often find myself thinking a lot more about it this time of year. I mean, what does it even feel like in your body? Hello out there, Shara Carruthers here, and you are listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast, an exploration of the simple, complex, and everyday ways that yoga shows up in our minds and our bodies and our world, and I am so grateful to be back with you, and so incredibly grateful that you're still out there listening, or maybe you've just found this podcast and you maybe you just decided to have a listen. Either way, you've made it to the first episode of season two official episode, which I am co-hosting right alongside my wonderful friend, Lucy Carnani. And we've got an incredible conversation to share with you today, as you would imagine. You know, one of the fabulous things that I found about hanging out with yogis is that I never seem to run out of folks to have deep and meaningful conversations with about the beauty and the complexity of the world and our place in it. And these conversations which I feel very privileged to be having, they are really feeding me at this moment in my life. And so I'm really grateful. And our conversation today is absolutely no exception. It is with one of Lucy's good friends, Janet Lowndes, who is a multifaceted, multi-talented, multi-passionate, compassionate, and dedicated advocate for the power and the potential of yoga to change our relationship with ourselves and our bodies and each other. And among many, many things, Janet is the founding director and the principal psychologist at Mind Body Well in Melbourne, Australia, where she offers outpatient therapies for people with eating disorders and folks who have concerns about eating behaviors and about body image and about well-being. And the beauty of it is that she offers it from a non-diet and a health at every size perspective, which I really, really love. She's also a qualified yoga teacher and a certified yoga therapist. And so we decided to dive into the conversation about how yoga can help change our relationship with our bodies. And we ended up unpacking some of the various ways that yoga actually can create some of the challenges that we have with our bodies, as well as some of the ways that yoga can actually help to support us in overcoming them. And you know, what I love most is Janet's warm and open and very informed approach to the work that she does in the world, incredibly sensitive and compassionate. And so I'm really excited to share this conversation with you because I think you'll definitely get something out of it. Oh, and be sure to stay through to the end of the podcast because Lucy and I have decided to add something new and different We're giving you a little view into how these conversations that we're having, um, in particular with this one with Janet, how they impacted and inspired us. A little after party, if you will. And we expect that this podcast itself, this conversation that we had with Janet, will most definitely inspire you. And so please enjoy this conversation that Lucy and I had with her good friend, Janet Lowndes.
Hello, hello. It is Shara Carruthers here, and I am here with Lucy Carnani and our guest today, Janet Lowndes. How are you? How are you doing, Janet? Let's start with you. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited to be here and, um, yeah, really honoured to be having a conversation with two wise, wonderful women on this beautiful sunny day. Where else would I rather be? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And my dear Lucy, how are you today? I have to say that I'm uh, particularly excited about being here today because I am with two of my kind of longtime favourite people in the world who have, Janet already stole the word wise, but really, you know, wonderful influences in my life. And I'm so excited for this conversation with you, Janet, to uh, share what you know and love with lots of other people. So I'm doing great is how I am. Oh, fantastic. And you, well, Shara, how are you? Thank you. I am excited. This is a this is the this a, the first time back for a little while, and uh, I'm really excited to be here with the both of you, talking about what we're going to be talking about today. Because I feel like it's a really um, it's an incredibly relevant subject. It's something that kind of touches everyone in some way, or you know, in some way, shape, or form. And so I'm excited that Janet, that you've agreed to come and share your wisdom with us mm-hmm. um, in this environment, in this kind of cozy and comfortable environment. Yeah, well, this is a topic that I love to talk about. So um, yeah. it's yeah, it's a real. Um, I think you know to pass forward and share things that you learn in your own journey is such an honor and a, and a privilege and a gift. So yeah, mm. thanks for the opportunity to do that. Yeah, no worries at all. So I know that you are, um, you're a psychologist and a yoga teacher and yoga therapist. And I've got this question is the question that I'm thinking about now is what came first for you? Yeah. Um, So what came first personally was being a yoga practitioner. Mm -hmm. So I was a yoga Hmm. practitioner in my, you know, late teens and early twenties, and then Mm -hmm. probably got more serious about practicing yoga after a car accident when I had a a serious whiplash and shoulder injury and was at 21, I was told I would need to have shoulder surgery. And at that point I had had just had a little sip of yoga really to Mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and really decided that I wanted to not rush into surgery, that I'd rather kind of see what I could learn about strengthening and using my body differently and adapting to the injury that I'd had and to see if I could avoid the surgery because I knew that was a pretty big deal at such a young age to have a shoulder reconstruction. Um, And, you know, thankfully that was at age 21. I'm now 51. 30 years later, I still have the same shoulder. (laughs) Um, So no reconstruction. This shoulder, frankly, is a little dodgy, especially as I get older. (laughs) But um, it works, it's functional, and I learned so much more about my body through deciding to take that path. And, you know, I recognise that there are many people for whom surgery is the only choice at that Mm. time, but I was really fortunate to have another option. And um, so that got me more serious about the practice of yoga. And uh, I, I think about that quote from Donna Fahey that pain is often the thing that brings people to yoga and joy is what keeps them coming back. Mm. That's probably, that's a paraphrase, but um, I, that was definitely the case for me, that the pain and the injury um, desperation, I think, got me more serious about yoga. And then um, I just loved it and started to find out more about yoga. So that was while I was studying psychology. And so then okay. I professionally went into psychology first, um, worked as a psychologist right through my 20s in all the hardest areas of work I could find. Right. Um, I worked in maximum security prisons. I worked in palliative care for people with HIV. 
and domestic violence services all in my 20s with a Mm. very strong saviour complex. Um, (laughs) And then unsurprisingly, I hit 30, burned out, and um, my dear Uncle Herb, who I think of um, often, left me, He, when he passed away, he left me a a small amount of money, which was enough to go to India and travel on a shoestring in a a way that I would probably have trouble travelling that way now. Um, but I travelled around India for a year and studied yoga and, um, yeah, it changed my life. And I think at that point I thought I would never go back to psychology. I was really right. jaded uh-huh. and done and burned out and I thought psychology didn't work, psychotherapy didn't work at that point. I've changed my mind, by the way. Right. Um, but, yeah, I left psychology thinking I'd never come back and, um I got to India and I went to study at the Swami Vivekananda Ashram in outside Bangalore, which is just an extraordinary, extraordinary community. If anyone ever gets the chance to go there, it's a, it's this amazing sprawling kind of property out in the hills um, outside of Bangalore. And it's a yoga university, a yoga teaching institution and a yoga hospital all on this amazing campus. Um, so I went there to study my first yoga teacher training course. And while I was there, interestingly, I met all these psychiatrists and psychologists who were working in their hospital. And I kind of had this light go on in my mind to see that there's a way to do psychology differently. Mm. Yeah. So that helped me kind of find my way back to psychology and in a more integrative way than I had previously learned, I guess. Wow. And what did you, what did you see? Like what struck you so much? Yeah, I, well, I remember, you know, what just spoke to me so strongly was a different conversation about illness and a different Mm. conversation about suffering and a a really very much a kind of a normalizing of um, the kind of symptoms that in the Western context are just seen as disorder and dis-ease, you know, and, and, and this kind of broken human sort of Um, messaging as opposed to in the yogic context I saw this as all being just a movement away from the state of homeostasis that we all experience at different times in different ways and um, so I just kind of understood differently the the underlying strength in the human um, human being and human human nature the strength in us that that there's a way to try and help people remember that and return to that as opposed to having this kind of illness and disease model. Janet, do you mean uh, like really trusting the innate human body's wisdom? Yeah, very much, mm. Um, mm. which that was just a totally foreign term, concept to me, you know, as, yeah. a, as a, a little girl from regional Australia who'd grown up in a very conservative um, farming community and hadn't had a lot of exposure to kind of any of the concepts that, I still remember arriving at the ashram. I was 30. I'd never traveled overseas before. Um, you know, Lucy, I was a very different person to the person you've gotten to know, right? I was very, um, very naive, but obviously had the yearning of a seeker, right? So I decided first time overseas to just plonk myself in an ashram in the middle of the Indian countryside. <laughs> Like, why not? Beginner's mind. Let's go with beginner's mind, <laughs> not naive. Hey? Okay, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, naive, but also obviously trusting enough to think, well, mm-hmm. I'm going to give this a go and, you know, let's see what happens. And it was the best thing I ever could have done, really. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, so trusting, I think, trusting that, um, trusting that we do have that wisdom and strength within us that even when we are severely tested um, and go through extremely challenging times, there's, there's a part of us that um, can hold us, you know, in some kind of safety and protection as well. Mm-hmm. How did you um, move forward after you got back from India? Because... <laughs> With great difficulty, right? Right. right. So I, I spent a year in India in that first trip. I've been back a few times since and, you know, would, would love to be back there again, you know, in in, in a heartbeat. Um, mm. Been back there one time with you, actually, Lucy. So we've shared some experiences together in India. Um, how did I reintegrate? Well, I definitely had massive reverse culture shock um, mm. and I came back feeling like internally way more integrated than I even knew was possible, but really not sure how to bring that with me back into Western culture. So, and after I left the ashram in India, I did travel to all kinds of different fabulous places, but I spent the last three months in Dharamsala, in uh, McLeod Ganj outside Dharamsala in Northern India, teaching English to um, Buddhist monks in the Dalai Lama's community. So that was also another just extraordinary experience mm. <laughs> remember rocking up there you know just thinking this is what I'd really like to do I'd like to teach English to um in the, in a Buddhist community so I rocked up there and think having no idea how does one volunteer to do such a thing and the very first night I was there I was in this um this cafeteria kind of place ordering my food and and these two young Buddhist monks heard me ordering my food and they um, came over to me and started a conversation and asked me whether I could help them learn English. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can. As a matter of fact. (laughs) As a matter of fact. That's That's why I'm here. It's fantastic. When I think back to that trip, you know, it was just that beautiful experience of so many of the, the most magical wonderful doors opened at the right time I was it was just a blessed time realistically um sorry I'm digressing I'm, I'm <laughs> really sitting, sitting, actually yes <laughs> actually it. I was I was going to say Janet that your uh, life could be written as a memoir if not a uh, autobiography because there's certainly lots of interesting adventures side adventures and then back on track um yeah. Shara and I were talking about uh, so the curiosity around what drew you to the specific work that you're doing now, mm. you know, as a, as a yoga teacher, therapist, teacher, trainer, therapist, trainer, yeah. and as a psychologist. Thank you for bringing me back on track. Um, <laughs> so, well, look, when I first came back from India, I couldn't figure out how to put myself back into the world of psychology. So I was a barista for a while. I learned how to make good coffee, which has served me well as my life goes on. Imagine so. Uh, Yeah, it's it's a good (laughs) skill. Um, And I then gradually started um, getting back into some, a small amount of, of individual psychotherapy. And I'd done quite a lot of work with adolescents before I went away to India and working with a lot of young people, I just uh, naturally started working with people who had significant body image issues and some people with eating disorders. So I had started to learn a, a, a little bit about eating disorders and body image um, distress before I went away to to India. And I remember that being one of my big curiosities in the ashram. It was about this whole, um, you know, really this concept of integration and how for people with with eating disorders, particularly, it's such a fracturing of the mind-body relationship. 
and you know it's such a denial of um, our, our deepest needs to starve ourselves for example um, and I started to kind of understand some of the um, the the mindset underlying the vulnerability of an eating disorder very differently from that yogic lens so I came back kind of really thinking I really wanted to figure out a way to bring that to my work with people with eating disorders, um, but not really sure how to do that. So it actually probably took me the next five years or so to figure that out. I came back and did a, a longer um, yoga teacher training course with um, uh, Lee Blaschke and some other wonderful teachers at, um, in Melbourne. And that being a two-year course, actually, the, the time in India was a really intensive yoga teacher training, which was amazing as an immersion. But then coming back and doing a longer, more integrative training actually was really helpful for me to think about how I was going to bring this more into my personal and professional life in a sustained way. So, so I guess I then, um, as I started working back with clients again and I was teaching yoga, it just... Um, I think there's a point of integration with yoga that I'm, I'm sure each of you will understand what I mean, but there's a point of integration where you can't separate it from the way you think in other ways. Yes. Like I'm often asked, well, mm. when are you doing psychology and when are you doing yoga therapy? And I don't know anymore, actually. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to differentiate for me because I can't remember what, how I would have practiced or thought as a psychologist before I became a yoga teacher and yoga therapist. So, so I, I actually feel a bit fuzzy in the in-between times, but I remember the biggest process for me was, and, and actually this still is an issue, it's learning how much of the yoga practice and yoga therapy I can bring into my role as a psychologist and still be very clear about my professional responsibilities um, as a, uh, a reg regulated health professional in Australia in the psychology lens, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately that there are um, some pretty tight constraints about that in terms of what that means I'm allowed to do in the therapeutic space. So most of what I realistically, what I do with, with clients in um, the way the yoga comes into my work is in, in the psychology and in the kind of conversations about our relationship with our bodies and um, in the kind of meditation and, and breathing practices. But I don't sort of roll out a yoga mat in the consulting room with people because there are, you know, there's sort of a continuum, I think, of the practices that are more that sit more comfortably with the psychology profession um, than, than others, I guess. So, Janet, did you just say, did, what I thought I heard you say, that there are some things that you can't do within your scope of practice as a psychologist, but you would do as a yoga therapist? Yes. Hmm. Can you give a couple of examples? Yeah, um, touch you know we have to be much more careful with touch in the, so the ethics the ethical uh, requirements for a psychologist are much tighter than they are for I think you know if we, the continuum again I think I think in continuums all the time because few things are you know black or white mm -hmm. um, I think you know we have one set of um, ethics for yoga teachers and then they get even a little bit tighter for yoga therapists and then they get tighter again for psychologists so um, you have to be much more careful about issues of touch and um, uh, certain, like asking people to position their bodies in certain ways in the therapeutic room isn't something that would traditionally fit into what happens in a psychology consultation. Mm. Interesting. I, I find mm. myself wondering as a psychologist, 
how much work you're actually doing with, with bodies anyway? It depends on the psychologist, right? Yeah. Because the traditional training for a psychologist is it really doesn't involve or include the body very much, um, if at all. Yeah. And often the way the body is just referred to in psychology generally as something that we focus on when we perceive there to be something wrong with it, or when there's, you know, there's a kind of response to the problems that the body we might be dealing with that are coming, being experienced through the body. So, and I, that, there's of course a lot of difference in that. There, there are some psychologists who are very interested in embodiment and um, especially more in the kind of transpersonal spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of, of, of variance in that, but the majority of um, traditional teachings in, in psychology don't really focus much on the body at all. But somatic psychotherapy, for example, would be a, a field that definitely does, or Gestalt yeah. therapy, or yes, yeah, there are mm-hmm. specialized areas. Yeah, there are kind of mm. unfortunately, they're sort of niche areas, really, especially in Australia in many ways. Mm. Um, you know, in, in I know you have an international audience, so I would say that the my my understanding of my conversations with people in the psychology field in, in America is that actually there is a lot more openness and. Um, a lot more diversity in psychological practice. But in Australia at the moment, um, the field of psychology is very medical model focused. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I find myself wondering, oh, sorry, did you have a question, Lucy? Well, I was, I was just curious, um, given the field of psychology that you specialise in is working with people with, um, you know, body image issues or um I'm trying to think of the the exact description, people with eating disorders or eating disordered behaviours or, you know, that are often related to relationship with the body. And yet you're saying in psychology, in a lot of time, you know, a lot of ways, the body's kind of left out of the equation. Yeah. So, look, I think in some ways the eating disorder field is one of the more progressive, gosh, in some pockets, right? Um, So some pockets of the eating disorder field uh, are much more progressive in terms of the inclusion and the direct focusing on the body because, you know, eating disorders are um, psycho-neurobiological kind of, you know, they're they're conditions that affect so many different aspects of the human experience and and they're expressed through the body. Mm. So, you know, my perspective is how can you possibly work with with someone in in the healing process of an eating disorder without directly focusing on their relationship with their bodies? So there's some really great, I think, very progressive thinking going on in the eating disorder field in this space. Um, I recently spoke at um, the Renfrew Conference through Centre, their online conference, for example, and they're a large um, eating disorder treatment program in the US. And um, I spoke at their conference about embodiment and interception um, and, you know, how important these things are in terms of helping people develop a different kind of relationship with the body as opposed to the kind of outside in um, version of the body that so much of our culture is, is kind of obsessed with realistically. Yeah. And was, was that new for some people, that concept? Was that new um, information? Both. I think there are, there's definitely this group of people. So um, the sort of more somatically oriented therapists in the eating disorder field were, you know, definitely would be on side with that thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there, there might be others who are in a much more strict sort of cognitive behavioral view that might not yet be really thinking about the body in such a direct way. 
Um, but I think, you know, for me being, when I think back to sitting there in that ashram in India and having conversations with this particular psychiatrist that was just like the light switched on for me, um, it was the way they were talking about the, the relational space between the mind and the body and, you know, it's the reason the, the name of my business that I came back and, and created the Mind Body Well, it's this, mm. this integration of mind and body and re-establishing a connection between two things that can never really be separated anyway, right? We're never yes. really separate, yet we can tend to live as if they are, especially the more fractured and, um, and um, sometimes traumatic that relationship is for some people, the more problems that can cause in the mental health and all kinds of health areas, as we know. Right? Mm, yeah, this, it's, this is definitely um, speaking to me because I, um, I, was, I was just talking with Lucy last week or yesterday about um, some of the questions that I have around this, having written a book about, having written a cookbook, Ayurvedic cookbook called Eat Like You Love Yourself and forever, um, you know, in my career, having focused uh, for a large portion of it on um, engaging folks in, you know, eating well and, in you know, using food as medicine and all the rest of it. I kind of came to very recently, I would say maybe in the last couple of years, came to this understanding that so much about how we, how we eat, what we eat, all of those different things, our relationship with food and our bodies is related to what's happening in our minds. And this mm -hmm. is all coming from the yogic side. And so it's kind of interesting. And, and, and as you're talking about this sort of very deep and close integration between the mind and body, I keep thinking a little bit about, yes, how do we engage with these? How do we engage these two as one? Because we always feel like we're having to either come from one side or the other. I'm mm. wondering, you know, I'm, I'm in some ways wondering how your, um, your psychology background has informed your yoga, mm. if it has at all. And yeah. yeah, and how even just this idea of integrated, sorry, I'm kind of going all over the place. So just <laughs> whatever you're taking from this, just flow with it. Um, and just how your understanding of this, you know, this deep and very, very close, um, inextricable connection between mind and body, how does that show up in the way that you approach everything? Wow, Shara, I think we have to unpack a picnic. I know, and, sorry. Uh, the rug. <laughs> this is me like unfurling the, ro the rug because like, this is the way my bro. Just yeah, whatever, whatever you got from it. Right. Um, and it's great, right, because I think this is so juicy and these are the conversations that really need to be being had in, yeah. in yoga, I think, really. Um, the one thing, there's so many things going through my mind about which I feel like I'm at one of those roundabouts with 10 different parts <laughs> off them. I have to whichever choose which, seems, Whichever looks choose, good. Choose your adventure. Okay. Well, the first thing I, I would like to choose, the first path, is um, I think, gosh, this is such a nuanced and complex area, right? Because on one level, the microcosm of the mind-body relationship is really important. Mm -hmm. But the other third part of this, which can't be ignored and has to be, I think, really acknowledged, is the macrocosm of the culture we live in. So we live in a culture Absolutely. where certain bodies are privileged over others. So, you know, the bodies with the most privilege in, particularly in Westernized cultures, are able-bodied, young, white, um, and in the yoga world, usually female, we might mm -hmm. add to that. So, um, and thin is mm -hmm. the other one I forgot, but it kind of goes with the able-bodied part in the, those assumptions. So I think, you know, that has infiltrated the world of, of yoga so much now in terms of the way yoga is, is practiced and the, the prioritizing of certain kind of um, ideals about yoga in, in, in the West. And I think um, not just yoga, but 
all of our culture you know we live in in this this world of diet culture where there's also this idea that that we need to um that there's a worthiness that people who have smaller bodies have more worth and mm-hmm. and as well as all those other areas of privilege that i that i mentioned before and i think i can't think about this issue of um uh, eating disorders and relationship with the body without thinking of it through a kind of body liberation lens. And, mm. you know, to me, the whole body, I'm, I'm pitching really broad here, right? Great. Because I think we have to think about the macrocosm. It's not enough to just say to an individual person that it's really important to focus on the relationship between mind and body, because the reality is many people, we we have a lot more body diversity than our social ideals recognize. Mm. And so people are trying to fit themselves into bodies and to embodied kind of representations of themselves that's not really their healthy self and so it's one thing to talk to the person on that individual level but I think it's also so important that we recognize the soup that we're swimming in which is a diet culture um, body dissatisfaction thin privileged able-bodied privileged it's like all of those issues also really impact weight stigma and weight bias and weight-based discrimination and all of those individual kind of issues as well. So people's eating behaviours can be related, yes, very much to the mental health space, but they can also be very much related to the way they in their embodied um, state is treated in the world they live in. It does feel to me, though, that this has been a topic of conversation now for a few years. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's improving at all? in the big world, if I say real world, and, mm. or, and is it different in the yoga world? Um, I was speaking to someone I work with just yesterday about this, that often I get really hopeful and, and excited about how the world's changed and then I go into a different area of the world which isn't surrounded by my lovely, like, social justice-inspired um buddies and um I think it's both realistically you know I I think Mm. there are so many areas of the yoga world and the world in general where there's more understanding and more kindness and more respect for diversity and more um recognition of the the worth and value of every human being no matter what their kind of physical presentation um and, you know, psychological presentation, all kinds of issues of diversity. So I think there is that. But on the other hand, I also think there are lots of other areas where um, there's still a lot of harm being done and still a lot of damage being done. Yeah. I was wondering about that too, because we were talking about this. We were looking at the the role that the yoga world has actually played in the way that we see and, you know, experience ourselves, our own bodies um, in the relationships that we actually have with our bodies. And mm. I wonder your, what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I, I think it's like yoga itself is not harmful, right? Mm. Um, and I think the harm is not coming from yoga. I think sometimes the harm has come as yoga has become more commercialized. Mm. And, you know, how do you sell yoga? Well, at, at, at this point in time, you sell yoga in a visual marketplace. Mm. So how do you sell yoga visually? You sell it through using the most idealized representation of the body that you can find um, and putting that on, you know, posters and billboards and, you know, the, that that 
that idealized privileged body sells products, including yoga. It sells products, it sells services, it draws people. And yes, I think there is some more diversity in that. Now there are people who are deliberately looking for yoga classes and yoga teachers who are openly teaching in a very inclusive um, and respectful way. Um, but it's still relatively fringe. You know, those all the teachers I know who are teaching in that way are not making any money, <laughs> realistically. Uh, Mind you, I don't know uh, many yoga teachers who make much money anywhere, but <laughs> um, it's not where the mainstream audience is. Um, so I wonder, I think- though, um, it's a, is it a little bit uh, about, I mean, as you both know, I've um, got various sort of body, physical body challenges. So over the years, I've really been drawn to teaching a kind of a gentle yoga for healing, actually, sort of is the umbrella. And, um, and that's certainly not, you know, visually pleasing to look at, um, but that's what I've been drawn to teaching. And, and I, I hear people, teachers talk, or sorry, I hear people say, oh, I've, I'm doing this, you know, power vinyasa or this hot yoga or this, that yoga, or, you know, and I think, oh my God, what's, it, what damage are you doing to your body is my kind of first potentially. But it often, I also hear stories of it being like a gateway into mm. yoga, capital Y, like an everything yoga has to offer. And um, is that any hope? Like just maybe it might get people in who then will see the light as it were? I don't know. Yeah, sure. Am I trying to be too hopeful? <laughs> well, look, I think there's, there's plenty of cause for hope, right, because I think as we know at its core, yoga in itself is a beautiful gift to humanity, you know, really, I think. And so I, I don't think of it as yoga being harmful. I think it's just it's how can we use this you know, if something has the ability to heal, it also has the ability to harm mm-hmm. if it's, you know, mm-hmm. used in different hands, right? And I think it comes right back, doesn't it, for all of us, I think for yoga teachers and yoga therapists have to think about what's my intention in this and and what's the message mm-hmm. I'm really delivering? Like I I think, you know, what really, what I'd I'd love, the message that I think is so important for, for yoga professionals to think about is are we adding to a culture of body dissatisfaction through the messaging that we're using in yoga? And I think, um, you know, was, uh, whenever it was we were allowed to travel, I think it was earlier this year, I was, <laughs> um, for a moment we were allowed to, um, I was in Queensland away on a, on a holiday and um, a beautiful holiday by the beach, having a wonderful time. And I found out there was early morning yoga on, on right on the beach, under the palm trees, on the grass, oh, you know, really just couldn't, couldn't have been more perfect and idyllic. So I went along to this class. I don't go to many teachers anymore because I find I'm very particular about my yoga practice and I like to do things very slowly and I'm usually just way too slow for the rest of the class. So I went along to this class and sat up the back. I thought I'm just going to do it my own way anyhow. But I found it, um, it was going so beautifully. It was lovely. It was idyllic, gorgeous, having a wonderful time, feeling so good. And then all of a sudden the teachers started to talk about yoga for weight loss. This practice is really, (laughs) right, Lucy, the gasp is appropriate, you know. Oh, this would really, this is really helpful for weight loss. And firstly, I'm thinking, A, that's inaccurate, right? It's, there is no yoga for weight loss. That's just mm. rubbish. That's just marketing. Um, it's inaccurate. And also you're immediately, it was in such a nice place. And it's like, to me, those comments immediately plant this idea of 
body dissatisfaction. It's like there is something wrong with your body and you should come to yoga to fix it. Now, that's not my understanding of yoga and you're both shaking your head no as well, right? That's not, you know, I think, oh gosh, this is so many things running through my head. I think about this concept of transformation in yoga and I think a lot of people grab this idea of of transformation and think that, that it's about a transformation of getting rid of the parts of myself I don't like and and being you know different but really you know I I think that's the misunderstanding isn't it of it's like wow you know how can we help people really recognize that yoga is about coming home and taking care of what of all those parts of ourselves that even the parts that are hard to love and hard to live with, like that's the challenge, isn't it? How can I take care of and respect and be kind and gentle with those parts of myself that of course I wish were different, but you know what? They're not going to be. So how can I learn to be more okay with that? And I think that's not the message that I often see in, in the yoga world that this, there can be this idea of come to yoga to change yourself. Um, I think that's concerning, right? Mm. And so there's two, there's a couple of things that are flying around in my head at the moment. The first is, and who knows if we'll get to the second. The first is um, you're painting a picture of the yoga world that it's very much aligned with what I see and what I'm, you know, and what I'm in many ways, um, I don't know. I want to say disturbed. That feels like a strong word, but in many ways disturbed, especially when I know that yoga has so much to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder a lot of this in my, in my mind speaks to the history of yoga and, you know, the way that everybody who's a teacher now has been taught. Uh, and I wonder, you know, if there's, Ooh, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Sorry. I can't, I just want to make sure. Cause the sound just went out for me. You still hear me okay? Shara's become unplugged. Yes, I know. I'm I'm just worried about it. I'm worried about the recording. Hold on a sec. I just want to make sure. Yep, no, we can hear you. You can hear me? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Ooh. Okay. This is weird. Maybe it's my headphones. Anyway, um, I wonder if there's something in the way that yoga teachers are trained or the messaging that goes out to yoga teachers that you would like to see that might better um, affect, you know, these, these more, I don't even want to say the word healthy, that somehow that doesn't, that doesn't fit, but that might just affect these changes that feel like they're necessary. Mm. I think, you know, I, I have a lot of hope when I see the really inclusive work that people are doing, you know, all kinds of different areas of inclusion, like to really um, try to, focus on yoga being accessible and available to everyone. You know, it was one of my favorite things at the Vivekananda Ashram was that in the, in the, um, the practice classes, the asana based classes that whole families came to the same yoga class, you know, and I'm sure each of you have seen this in different, it's just so beautiful. You know, you know, you'd see the grandparents and the parents and the children all doing their own thing basically their own um understanding their own version of what was being taught and i love that looking around a room full of yogis all doing something slightly different how beautiful right what a wonderful representation of human diversity as opposed to that idea of this picture perfect looking through a room and everyone is lined up like someone's got out the ruler and will possibly have if it's for a photo shoot right (laughs) 
Um, so I think that those those messages of of, of diversity and inclusion and um, really reaching lots of different people, taking the yoga to the people as opposed to expecting people to fit into a certain um, look or style or ability level with yoga. I think there's you know so much great teaching happening now in, about inclusive yoga and yeah. um, diversity and and reach. And I I hope that that will take us forward and I also think so much of the way that I think about yoga it's going to have to be different coming out of this pandemic anyway right I I think if there are opportunities from this dreadful time like that maybe this is one of them that we Mm. have to recognize that um we've got to take care of each other a bit more right yeah yeah Don't you think people, I mean, I think everything you said is just completely spot on. And also my experience in teaching is individuals in the room need to constantly be reminded. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that third piece that you were talking about, not just the mind-body relationship, but the societal sort of and expectations, self-expectations, but they've come originally from somewhere and... Mm -hmm. Yeah. you know, upbringing, communities, you know, society and so forth. And so I think um, I'm curious, would you agree that as a teacher you almost can't continue to invite people to check in and be really present for what's appropriate for them on that day, in that moment? Yeah, I, I, I can't remember this quote or I can't grab it even right in, in the wording of it, but it's about kind of like neutrality really um, neutrality fosters oppression you know that if as if yoga teachers say nothing mm-hmm. uh, it's this kind of spiritual bypassing thing I don't think yoga mm-hmm. teachers can afford to just be passive and um, hope that everyone will be okay because you're right out there in the world people are being um, exposed to so much um, so many harmful messages so I also think that it's really important that yoga teachers that really this you know ahimsa is not an easy thing to to teach right or an, an easy thing it's like it can seem like such a it's a fundamental kind of aspect of yoga yet is actually one of the most complex when we live in a world that is so contrary to that mm-hmm. so I, I actually think for teachers have a, 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 an opportunity and probably even a responsibility to um, you know, to help people consider how their relationship with their themselves can be different, um, and but to model that too, to be uh, uh, just uh, so many examples I hear of things like, you know, teachers complaining about their own bodies. Where I saw this with a yoga teacher once a few years ago, and it made me so cross. Like, please do not voice your own body dissatisfaction in front of a class of people mm. like that makes me really really cross it's like yep. this person was complaining about her belly in a, in a forward pose in a really disparaging <laughs> way it's like oh my gosh like and also you know I think what people need to think about is what does that what does that feel like for the people in the class who are larger bodied than you yeah like if if mm. this person who had you know all the privilege right yeah. is complaining and being dissatisfied about her body you know what does that feel like to the other people in the room who don't have the same body privilege gosh that makes me cross like, mm. wow mm. Same. messaging Actually. yeah yeah just hearing it and repeating wow. it but repeatedly yeah. 
yeah repeatedly right and then picking up I mean I don't go anywhere near yoga magazines anymore because they drive me a little crazy but all the messaging about yoga for weight loss and and this must be really challenging for you Shara because I think it's been one of the misunderstandings of Ayurveda right and the mis um you know and things like cleansing right Mm -hmm. it's like I often get asked about that and it's and and sometimes for clients who I see who have quite serious eating disorders or they're right at the beginning of an eating disorder and they tell me they're going to go away and do a yoga and cleansing retreat and I'm like screech breaks hold on whoa 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 because I think some people want to meet one extreme with another extreme yep and yet what they're really challenged by is some moderation and and so yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective on all of that too, because yeah. that must be a challenging conversation. Definitely. And you know what? It speaks to, uh, as I'm hearing you and nodding my head <laughs> quite vigorously, it very much speaks to our society. Mm-hmm. It speaks to what we value, what society values or what society deems valuable and all the stuff that you were saying at the very beginning. And so we begin to look out into the world and we see every 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 tool, we see yoga, we see um, you know, Ayurveda or even psychotherapy for that matter. Um, mm-hmm. All of these is a tool to help us get to, to help us become what society wants us to become. And in doing that, we miss the gifts of all of these things. Like, you know, cleansing is a, is a wonderful thing in Ayurveda if used in the right way for the right purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and the right purpose is, is almost never for weight loss. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, it, it can be a little bit frustrating, um, you know, and it's, it, to me, it's, it's definitely similar to the challenges that I, that I feel like I'm having, you know, these days with, with yoga, um, the greater yoga world, all these things that we've taught, that we've touched on. It's, it's one of these things I've, you've just got to keep um, engaging with people, keep talking about the things that we know are important. Um, keep showing up again and again, which can be challenging, mm. but um, you know, that's really all we can do, you know? And I, I find myself wondering kind of as we wrap up, wrap things up a little bit, um, knowing everything that you know about why um, we, you know, we are challenged, why we, why we, you know, we, we have these issues with ourselves and why we, you know, why we do the things that we do to try to address them. Um, And knowing what you know about yoga and your own personal experience, and obviously your years of experience with working with teachers and therapists, et cetera. I wonder what do you think or or how do you think yoga can actually help us to have a better relationship with our bodies? Mm. Um, I I guess the the first answer I think of is a very personal one. Like I'm often asked, how am I still a psychologist after 28 years in the profession? And I still love it. And I still, um, you know, love being able to be in that incredibly privileged relationship with people in the therapy space and you know one of the main ways I'm able to continue to do that is by having my own practices that help me return to myself on a regular basis and to be in good company with myself now I feel like that's a privilege that I've learned over time how to be in good company with myself gosh if that was if there was something I wish we could crop dust the entire world with, you know, just to be learn to be good, to be able to just, you know, put your hand on your heart and close your eyes and just find a place inside that is a nice place to be, like settling back in the, the your favorite chair in your heart or something, you know. Um, so I feel like 
that I have come to learn about that place inside me through yoga. So if I have been able to learn that through yoga and I'm, you know, so incredibly grateful to the teachers who've helped me discover that, if I've been able to discover that, then I really hope that other people can discover that too. So I, I think that there, my challenge to yoga teachers would be for them to think about, A, can they find that place in themselves and can they think about how they can find that place in themselves? And I actually think, you know what, that part of this is also about doing our own work because the messaging that comes through us as a teacher is if we're not careful, it's my own. So if I'm, if a lot of body dissatisfaction is coming from me, that to me would say, okay, I've got some work to do there and I need to take that and do whatever work I need to do to work on my healing so that it doesn't spill out in this privileged space, right? Mm. This is all the, the transference and counter-transference issues that I think are really important to consider as well. So I think, you know, I've never met a yoga teacher yet who doesn't have such a beautiful intention and good heart in wanting to really contribute to the goodness in the world, right? And so I think that that's the bit that I find helpful to remember that I think there's such a goodness in people who come to wanting to share yoga, to take bring yoga forward in their own way and to pass on what's been shared with us. So I just hope that if people can think about this issue of diversity, recognize their own privileges, because also I think a lot of people's bias and stigma comments come from their own lack of recognition and acknowledgement of their own privilege. So it's not, they're not being mean, they're perhaps just not being thoughtful mm. um, in their understanding of what this might be like for the other people in the room and what the impact of my words and my actions might be on others, you know. Um, I feel like that I'm, I'm, it's a windy answer because I don't think I have a straight one. <laughs> it's beautiful. You're touching oh, on some amazing things and I'm loving all of it. Really, right. all of it is really, for me, it's all of this is really resonating, you know? Great. Very much so. Yeah. I think, I think you've said some really key points within that windy answer, yeah. um, <laughs> um, you know, such as in particular, becoming aware of your own privileges I mean, this is personal work that I've been doing the last couple of years, and um, it's illuminating and and hum- humiliating and humbling and uh, and so forth. And uh, and there are great resources out there for that work to be done. And yeah. Chara, maybe we'll put some ideas in the sure. in the show notes. But yeah, for sure. it, there is there there are resources, and you can commit to uh, as a teacher. I think you can commit to. Um, broadening your views so you can be aware. You can only be aware of what you know, mm-hmm. I think, and the challenge is to have what you know to be broadened so you can become more broadly aware. Yeah. Because that's self. But <laughs> also also your key message about personal practice, mm. you know, so that you can sit with yourself in a comfortable way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, oh, gosh, it's a whole other conversation about privilege and power and responsibility, isn't it, that I'm sure you will be having with different people. And um, But I think those of us with privilege need to be prepared to be uncomfortable and to be prepared yeah. to be called to account and to be prepared to have to really think about, you know, on so many, for so many issues and so many levels. But mm-hmm. I guess because of the area of work that I'm in, you know, I think this weight-based discrimination and weight stigma and weight bias, it's quite unrecognised. And it's almost like the, the kind of last openly accepted form of privilege, yeah. a form mm-hmm. of, um, of um, discrimination, yeah. sorry. 
this idea that, well, it's okay to tell people that they're fat because you'll help them lose weight and then they'll be healthy again. Mm. It's like, whoa, hold on, that's just so messed up, right? Mm. It's just really, really messed up. And I think Mm. it's it's an area that just that needs to be aired and opened and talked about in these kinds of conversations, hopefully, um, you know, really just let people reflect on their own their own privilege, their own messaging, their own privilege and their own vulnerability because we're all people living in a body in a Western culture that tells us that our body is wrong if it's anything other than the ideal, which is pretty much everybody, right? Mm. So we're all people who also have, we have both privilege and vulnerability, most of us. So I think think I'm perfect. I don't know what you're talking about. Are you? You're already done. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm perfect. So are you two. You're levitating off to the beach after. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. I wish. So true. That's a lovely, lovely uh, winding winding up (laughs) comment. I love it. Janet, this has really been a wonderful conversation. It really does. In some ways, it feels like the beginnings to a much longer conversation. So at some point, I'm hoping to get you back and we can dive into some of these things a little bit more. Um, But man, you've definitely definitely illuminated a number of things that I feel are very, very key and very important. Um, and it, I love hearing it too from someone who's, who has the experience that you do and it just basically comes from the, the, um, the place that you come from in every, in every way, um, speaking all of this to, you know, the greater community and to us. And so I really do just want to thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Um, and, and I want to thank you for sharing that little bit of it, of it with us today. Mm, well, Gosh, that's lovely. That I couldn't have, um, yeah, I said at the beginning, I couldn't imagine anywhere I'd rather be, and it's even more so now. Um, I wish we were unfurling that picnic blanket, so yes, <laughs> let's do that sometime. That's great. Um, and look, yeah, it's it's the skill of great interviewers to, for you both of you to be able to help someone um, speak of the things that they're really passionate about. So thanks for the opportunity to do that. It's, you know, and I, I really look every time I speak, I just can't help but honor and acknowledge the people who I've learned from. And some of them have been, have been formally been my teachers, Mm. but many of them have been my informal teachers who are my clients and students, you know, they're the best teachers that we could ever have, you know? Mm. So I'm, I really honor each of those people who, you know, share their body struggles with me in a way that really helps me understand on a different level. Yeah. 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 I just, I I do feel a little compelled to um, say that if you, our listeners, have any chance ever to be in Janet's presence with her teaching, Mm. I've seen her present um, a number of years at the Yoga Australia conference and, uh, and, I don't know if you put that out on your website, do you, when you're speaking or and now with things available online, but um, I have never not learnt something when I've been in Janet's presence. And uh, and so, this, yeah. This is no <laughs> this exception. Is, this is no <laughs> exception. I'm going to go away and really ponder what we've talked today too. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think blushing yeah. translates to a podcast, does it? <laughs> so I'll just have to say it out loud. I'm blushing. blushing. No, um, I, re- I, w- I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. It is absolutely true. And, I mean, what a consummate professional and so articulate and and uh, and broadened. I mean, what you're saying now is different from what I heard you say a year or two years ago. I mean, I'm seeing your your growth and your breadth of um, of 
uh, you know, you're continuing to learn and then share what you love and know. So thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Thanks My again. Mm. Yeah. Thank you both. Mm. Okay. And we are back. <laughs> I had mentioned in the preview to this season that we actually were going to be trying something new. And, you know, Lucy and I were talking and we thought that these conversations that we're having, these are so often, they're starting points for us. They are, they, they make us think about things. They make us think about our lives. And ideally they do the same for you. And typically what happens is that we, they're the beginnings of a process of integration. And so we thought, why not let you in on it? Why not talk to you about what's, what, how things are sitting with us, about what we thought, about what stood out. And so we're back to do that. So, hey, Lucy. Hey, Shara. How are you? <laughs> I am good. And as always, it's great to be back with you talking about things. And, you know, we've had a little bit of time, haven't we? Done a little bit mm -hmm. of thinking about this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, what's what, what were the first things that really struck you or what were the things that stood out? Or what have you even just been thinking about in this time since we had that wonderful conversation with Janet? Yeah, so it was about two weeks ago. And I would say um, one thing to note about this and uh, many of the conversations that you and, and Maria had in the past too, they were so rich mm. and there was so much in them yeah. to have time to sort of uh, to sit with and to think through and to unpack a bit yeah. um, has been really valuable. And uh, there are a number of things we could probably record for another hour about everything we took out from it, but don't worry, everybody, we're not going to. <laughs> um, I would say the first big one is what an what an interesting life Janet has had yeah. and how yoga has really supported her in yeah. her journey. Yeah. That's something yeah. that really stood out for me too, actually mm -hmm. um, from the time, you know, from her discussion around how she had discovered it and her time in India and all the things that she took from that mm -hmm. and how it's shaped her, the work that she does, you know, and how in some ways it kind of revitalized her interest in, in doing the work of a psychologist and really shifted and changed it um, all the way to, you know, she did sort of mention a little bit about how her, her yoga practice kind of serves her now in some ways as she's, you know, as she's getting older, as we all are. And it was really nice to kind of, to hear her touch on those things and to, I don't know, to hear her appreciation for the practice and the way that it's it's changed right along with her. What were you, were there anything in particular that stood out for you around that? Yeah. And, and I think when you hear stories like that, um, it's very, I think I'm making up a word now, but I'm going to say it's permissioning nope. <laughs> for those of us who are aging yeah. um, to really appreciate that. I mean, and of course this is taught by all sorts of great um, yoga teachers, you know, particularly Desika Chow and so forth. But, um, you know, what will serve you in your late teens, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, now me in my early 60s, you know, is very different. And um, it was wonderful in Janet's story to hear, kind of get a sense of that and a bit of detail of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, certainly also I felt a very much this sense of because of that she is um, more able to serve her clients, you know, both psych psychology clients, but also yoga therapy clients. And uh, it's really ongoing, which is, of course, also what we love about it, isn't it, Shara? Yep. <laughs> We're always learning. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that and also 
uh, what struck me and was just when she jumped into this idea or this practice of yoga, I don't think she had any, like, I guess we never do, but she, I don't think she had any idea where it was going to take her. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just really interesting the way that it seems as though she's, um, she just opened her arms to it. And, you know, here she is now, you know, mm-hmm. playing such an amazing role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that, that part was very good. And I think, it, it, and it and it caused me to reflect on my journey with yoga Same. too and, you know, how it supported me. So Same. I, I thought it was also very interesting um, what she was talking about, uh, the difference between typically what is what are the practices in a, in a psychology therapeutic relationship mm. um, versus a yoga therapy therapeutic relationship and what's yeah. possible. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I thought no, you that was say. interesting. <laughs> I was going to say, go, go. <laughs> that was really interesting too, to me as well, actually, especially because I think there's some part of me that sees yoga as uh, a form of psychology in that the focus of yoga is really is really about the mind. But there's this understanding that uh, we are whole, we're whole. And so we have this wholeness to, to support our relationship with, you know, all of us with our minds and to, um, I don't know, to bring us into a, a, a I, I suppose, like from an Ayurvedic standpoint, I think a more balanced state or to bring us into a better relationship with ourselves, where psychology kind of focuses, as she was sort of saying, you know, psychology almost doesn't even acknowledge the body. It sort of is really all about what's going on in your head. And let's just focus there and see what we can do to, to get you well. I thought that was really interesting too. Yeah. Mm. Although we did talk about that there are some sort of uh, specialist areas or yeah. whatever of psychology. And sure. I mean, I personally have done some somatic psychotherapy mm-hmm. um, with a therapist uh, in Melbourne for a few years yeah. Um, gosh, nearly 10 years ago now, and that really helped shift things for me. Um, But I came to that because of my yoga mentor who recommended that I do that. So uh, I'm not, anyway, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, and it it was something in our uh, pre-call conversation you mentioned, Shara, is that it's just appreciating there is such an opportunity and a need, if you like, for yoga therapists. Yeah, and yoga teachers and yoga yeah. classes. I mean, yeah. all of it because it really does, you know, rather than, um, you know, sort of uh, separating out the mind and thinking just doing the work there will fix it, of course, working with the body and the breath will, will also attend to the mind. So yeah. it's yeah. Um, that was that was very interesting yeah. what you had to say about that. I thought so too, actually. And, and I was particularly um, happy for her, especially doing the work that she's doing around, uh, you know, body um you know issues with the body with body image and and with eating disorders and things um recognizing that it is it can be important to work with the body or if nothing else to acknowledge the body uh when you know that is where a lot of the challenges are kind of actually showing up i mean they're probably they're obviously showing up in the mind too but a lot of that is about that relationship with the body and so having that additional i suppose breadth and understanding of this mind-body relationship, uh, which we kind of talked a little bit about, definitely gives her more tools to work with in serving the folks that she actually serves. 
Yeah, and I bet you were a bit excited when she started to talk about the microcosm of the macrocosm. <laughs> if you ever study, everybody, if you ever study with Shara, that's a big, uh, a big lesson learned in her teachings of Ayurveda and uh, so incredibly true. But, you know, specific to, you know, the, the area that Janet works with, with eating disorders, body image issues, um, body dissatisfaction, et cetera, you know, really appreciating that um, the microcosm is what is happening in that person, inside that person, but it, we are in such a soup, the macrocosm, the soup we're in, which is, you know, it's almost like everything's going against you because of all of the, you know, the advertising and the marketing and the messaging that's always about, you know, what's what's beautiful, what's healthy, what's good, you know, all of those words which are so subjective and many times completely wrong mm. yeah I think yeah. That, I think she even used the words um my healthy body yeah was it something like that yeah um yeah what was she referring to there you very specifically well I think that uh, it, it, it was uh, Janet might ring and correct me on this but I think <laughs> what she was doing was saying that, uh, you know, all of that marketing and and, oh. uh, and so forth talks about the ideal body. Mm. But, it, of course, you and I know, of course, it depends on the, the person's constitution. Exactly. It depends on about 100 different things, what is an ideal body, yeah. you know. So it's your own healthy body, which could be, you know, a, you know any size, any shape, any whatever. So, mm. yeah. I so loved, loved, loved that she talked about the microcosm versus the macrocosm. You, you had me totally nailed there. I love that because, you know, I think that I, well, I, I always really like seeing um, kind of, even though she, I wouldn't call her traditional, but um, seeing sort of more Western science based folks talking about these bigger ideas, because I mm -hmm. think they help people to understand that there's a lot more that impacts, you know, where you are than you might understand. And, you know, <laughs> If nothing else, and I might just go back to a word that you created, the permissioning, it kind of gives us, it, it, it gives us a bit of permission to not carry the entire burden on ourselves for, yeah. for seeing things and addressing things and working with things. And, you know, I, as you said, I, you know, when I talk about Ayurveda and teach it, I teach that idea that who we are is a relationship. There is no way that we're going to climb out of the soup as you've just, as you've discussed, you know, called it, which I think is great. Um, and so we have to recognize that the soup is there and we have to, you know, come to terms with our relationship with that. And if nothing else, take it into consideration in, in you know, in everything that we do and the way that we make our choices and, and even in the way that we think ourselves, you know, and engage with ourselves. And I think that's so, so important because it feels like, it feels like an aspect that gets left out and leaves people feeling, feeling like every single thing that they're experiencing is all their own fault. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. not, not that we're looking to blame anyone or blame, you know, or, or shift things, but I think it's really just important again, you know, to look at the whole picture because if we're not seeing the whole picture, then we're, we don't have access to all the tools that we need to, you know, to heal ourselves. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's really good to acknowledge that. And you, what I heard then, Shara, was you were sort of speaking in the first person, so we don't blame ourselves. Yeah. But I think for those of us who are yoga teachers and yoga therapists, it's then appreciating the tendency that every individual with whom we're working is likely to 
you know, be drawn into that because that's what our culture teaches us, you know. it's um, And so if we can appreciate that, we can potentially better support, you know, all of our students and clients. And, yeah. you know, another aspect of that building on that that Janet spoke about, which I thought was really fantastic, was, um, you know, to be to support people with these particular concerns, you know, eating disorders, body um, dissatisfaction or, or whatever it might be, we have to understand our own privileges in our own bodies yeah. and um, and then to broaden out like about understanding all our privileges, not just around body size and shape and so forth. Yeah. And then truthfully, and we didn't talk about this, but this is what's arisen for me since yeah. that um, recording, is that we also have prejudices. Yep. And and nobody likes to think that they're a prejudiced person or nobody I've ever met likes to think they're prejudiced. Yeah. But it's so inherent, again, going back to this soup, you know, it's systemic. And so it's work, it's work that we, I, you know, need to do. Uh, so we're not inadvertently causing harm in any way. Yeah. Definitely. I, I think you're spot on. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that was something that really stuck out for me was, you know, kind of the shorthand of it was, you know, are we, are we contributing to the chat, the issue that exists out there that are we, you know, as a, I don't like to, I don't like to refer to yoga as an industry, but are we as a community, I'll say, are we contributing to what, people believe about themselves and how good, bad, worthy, healthy, whatever it may be, um, you know, when we're seeing the sorts of things that we're seeing on social media, when we're hearing the kinds of things that we're hearing from inside of our yoga classes and from the gurus and from all the rest of it. And so I think that that's, that's you, you've pointed to something that's, uh, I suppose in some ways it, it's, it's highlighting that it's highlighting that it's something we need to be aware of and be thinking about um, if we are, if we don't necessarily want to inadvertently, uh, or, or maybe even, um, maybe even with some kind of perp or intention, um, cause harm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that, um, if we are committed to ahimsa, which again, um, most of the teachers and therapists that I know are, it's yeah. not only um, being aware of it, but it is taking action yeah. because not taking action, I think Janet even mentioned this, yep. um, is enabling it to continue and will inadvertently cause harm to some people. So it, it is about doing the work and appreciating what is what are the possible way, lenses that other people are experiencing what you're teaching and then um, modifying them to be as inclusive for what you teach to be as accessible as possible and to, to really um, embrace all aspects of diversity, that, you know, all marginalised populations or yeah. individuals who might be in your, in your room, in your class or with whom you're meeting one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. Yeah. So I, I think this, um, this, interview with Janet really calls calls me and I hope calls others to become much more aware of uh, this aspect of individuals in our communities experience and I and I 
I think, I'm sure there's formal research of this that I've seen somewhere, but uh-huh. a very low percentage of people in the world are really satisfied with their own body. So I think there's a strong chance that most people who cross your path as yoga yeah. students or yoga therapy clients will have some level of dissatisfaction and yeah. appreciating that will and and holding them that, recognising it, um, uh, and supporting them to find that place of peace that Janet was talking about right at the very end when, you know, we said um, how can yoga help, how has yoga helped you? Yeah. Um, you know, be in a good relationship. And she said, you know, I found myself in good company. I've done the work to find myself good company. And mm. uh, and that also, um, you know, prompted thinking for me, triggered thinking for me in a, in a, in a beautiful way. And I, <laughs> I always so frequently ask myself when I watch my thinking going down the, the, the rabbit um, hole <laughs> of negativity, I think, <laughs> What would I do if I really love myself? <laughs> you know, how can I live like I love myself? Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and that's, I guess, uh, what I like to bring to my students and clients is what can you do to live like you love yourself mm. um, in all areas, but in this case around body image and and body relationship. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Mic drop. So, that was perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. Yeah. Love so. it. Thank you so much, Lucy. I do feel like I'm in good company here. And, um, and I really enjoyed having that little debrief with you. And I look forward to the next one. And I enjoyed this conversation with, with Janet as well. And I really, really am looking forward to the next one. Yeah. And thank you so much, Shara. I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> See you next time. Bye.